Father in heaven, Lord, we pause for a moment. Thank you for your presence, which is already here. And pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be our guide and our teacher as we go throughout this presentation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The presentation, as you can see, is called How to Preach, Preparation, and Delivery of the Message. How many of you have preached before? Okay, how many of you have never preached? Never preached. How many of you are scared of preaching? Okay. You're in good company if you're scared of preaching. Does anyone know what arachnophobia is? Fear of spiders. Does anyone know what necrophobia is? Fear of death. Does anyone know what claustrophobia is? Fear of public space. Fear of close spaces. Does anyone know what acrophobia is? I heard someone say it. Yep, fear of heights. Does anyone know what glossophobia is? Fear of ghosts? No, no, no. Fear of public speaking. Glossophobia. Glossophobia, excuse the accent. But I do speak the proper English. <laughs> Glossophobia is a fear of public speaking. Now, you know what the, the biggest phobia in the world is glossophobia. Fear of public speaking. Which is higher than the fear of spiders, the fear of death. Jerry Seinfeld once joked that at the average funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than they would be behind giving the eulogy. Because <laughs> they're more scared of giving the eulogy than they are of being dead. But it's a... You know, how to preach, how to speak, how to speak in public. You know, whether you're a pastor, an evangelist, a Sabbath school teacher, whether you're someone in your local church who just stands up to say a prayer or, or give an announcement, public speaking comes into all of these things. Specifically in, in, this, um, in this workshop, we're going to look at preaching. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible tells us, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? Hearing by the Word of God. It's something that when you're speaking the Word, when you're delivering the Word, the Word of God has to be spoken, has to be preached, has to be delivered. So what does it mean to be a preacher? What does it mean to be a preacher? You could say, one whose occupation is preaching the gospel, that's one. One who preaches or gives homilies. Webster's Dictionary from the Latin, to proclaim or to make known. A preacher is someone who proclaims something. He makes known something that he already knows, and he wishes to share with a larger audience. In the Greek, God's kind of a definition, an explanation, is God's ambassador, herald, proclaimer of God's divine word. Is this laptop in the way for you? You sure? Let me try and... There's not much I can do. Maybe I'll just turn it down a bit. Um, 2 Peter 2 verse 5, talking about Noah. What does the Bible say he was? The Bible defines Noah as being a preacher of righteousness. He was someone who preached, and the Bible says he preached righteousness. Now, we are told that Noah was a preacher. We are also told that the time that Noah lived in is going to be mirrored when? going to be mirrored now. The Bible says in Matthew 24 verse 37 that as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now what do you think Noah preached? Yeah. 
preached the gospel. You think he preached things that made people feel good? Not really. That wasn't his primary intention. Was he preaching to entertain people? No. He was a preacher of righteousness with a specific message for a specific time. And we today must mirror the type of preacher that Noah was. You think he was preaching to fulfill an obligation or just because he was getting paid? No, he wasn't that type of preacher. He was someone that had a message to give for a specific time. We are told as well that we will live in a similar time when the, we need to live like Noah, just before the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So what are we to proclaim? What should we proclaim? The book of Evangelism, page 119. If you have a pen, you want to take notes. Evangelism, page 119. Ellen White says these words here very clearly. She says, in a special sense... Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as, what does she say? Watchmen and light bearers, and to them, meaning to the Seventh-day Adventist, has been entrusted, which warning? The last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. These are, this is a serious quotation. It says, we're living in a time when what has been entrusted to us will be the last warning that will go to the whole world. So the preaching of the gospel is something very, very serious if it's going to be the last message of warning to a perishing world. Going on, it says, they have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of which message? First, second, and third angel's message. You remember Peter Gregory this morning when he was giving uh, in, in the Q&A time, he was asked the question, what is the identity and mission of the Seventh-day Adventist church? And where did he say we got our identity from? Revelation chapter 14 and verses 6 through 12, which is the three angels' messages. These are the messages God has entrusted to us as the last warning to the world. You wonder what it is you have to preach? Preach the three angels' messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to absorb nothing else. They are, sorry, they are allowed... They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Third volume of the Testimonies, page 64. If the truth we profess is of such infinite importance as to decide the destiny of souls, how careful should we be in its what? In its presentation. Trying to impress upon your minds the seriousness of the preaching of the Adventist message. It's not just something that you flippantly do, and it's not just something that you just kind of do if you, you know, everyone else is doing it. It's a serious message God has given to us for a serious time. So preaching, preparation, preparation. How are we to prepare as preachers, preachers of the word? There's a first principle first. Listen to God before you. Speak to the people. Sounds simple, but it's so true. There's a quotation I don't believe is on the screen which says this. I found out, I just read it. How careful we should be in the presentation. We must listen to God. Oh, is that another microphone? Hello. Hello. There we go. I've got two clips on me now. I could blow this place up. <laughs> Gospel Workers, page 100. 
Gospel Workers, page 100. My message to ministers, young and old, is this. Guard jealousy your hours for prayer, Bible study, and self-examination. It's an important aspect of preaching that as you, you're preaching, you're preparing, you're doing your Bible study, but you're also examining yourself, that you're not getting in the way of the message you have to give. Set aside a portion of each day for a study of the scriptures and communion with God. Thus you'll obtain spiritual strength and grow in favor with God. Page 87. The preaching of the gospel is God's chosen agency for the salvation of our souls. But our first work should be to bring our own hearts into harmony with God. And then we're prepared to labor for others. Don't miss the two. You know, there was one preacher I, I knew one time. You know, God will use you in preaching and in missionary work. And don't miss what I'm about to say. Just because God uses you does not mean God will save you. Don't get mistaken that because you're being used by God to give a message or teach a Sabbath school class or work for him, that God is saving you as well. There was a preacher I knew one time. He's a good preacher now, but he went through a sticky patch in his life and he, he came to his friend one day and he said, hey, you know what? He said, I sin and I still preach good. But I sin and I still preach good. You laugh, serious business. God will use you doesn't mean he'll always save you. So don't miss in your preparation. Let me just go back. Don't miss in your preparation, your hours for prayer, Bible study, and self-examination. And as you're going through preparing the messages or doing whatever you've got to do, that you're also examining yourself to make sure that you are in line with what you're giving. Again, would it be that today there were more earnest intercession where God, greater humility, greater, what's the next word? Purity and greater faith. Greater faith. So what should we preach? 2 Timothy 2.15, or preparation. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says this. says this. Study to show yourself what? Approved unto God. I haven't gone to the next slide. My phone's not working. There we are. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the what? The word of truth. As a preacher, you need to study, give your preparation in. But the Bible says there's a correct way, there's a right way to divide, and there is a wrong way to divide. We're going to look at some of that tomorrow in uh, how to study the Bible, some of the principles of Bible study, because you can get long, far off by not rightly dividing the word of truth. And it says to preach the, we're told to preach the word. Preaching the word is the most important uh, aspect of the preaching. Preaching the word of God, not ideas, not uh, stories. Not jokes, so to speak. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 says to preach the what? Preach the word. You know, there is a lack of preaching the word today in the Christian world. You may even go one step further and say there may be a lack of preaching the word in our church. Now, I used to be an evangelist with amazing facts and travel around the United States of America preaching the gospel. Invite people to come to the meetings, and people would come from non-Adventist, non-Christian backgrounds. And it would always kind of, I never quite understood why some people said what they said. They'd come to the seminar, I'd be preaching Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, the Sabbath, the law. And people would come the first few nights, and they'd be like, wow, this is amazing. We're not used to hearing the Bible preach like this. 
And I'd always be like, yeah, praise the Lord, you know, the, the Bible's powerful. And I never really grasped sometimes what they were saying. I was in Oklahoma doing a seminar in Tulsa. Sunday was my day off, and I was driving around the city, went to, a few, went to one or two shops, and then I went past Aura Roberts University, big evangelical university. I was like, oh, let me stop and go in. So I stopped and went into one of the big churches there, massive churches. And it was a big on the signpost. All these tele-evangelist preachers were going to be there. So I was like, let me just check in and see. So I went into this first church, had a look, spent five minutes there. I was like, ah, that's a bit boring. Left. Went to the next church across the road. There was like five churches on site. So I went to the next church across the road, and I'm like, okay. Let me walk in there. I sat down, and the guy's preaching away. Remember I said, it's important to preach the what? The word. Preacher gets up to preach, and he's there preaching away, and he's talking about how he got an invitation, and he thanks the visiting preacher, the, the preacher for inviting him, and he kept going, he, he spent about 10 minutes saying the Lord has given him a word, and he's given him a word to share, and he gave it him to share with his church, but he's not sure if, if he can share it with this church as well, because you're not my church, and he kept making up all this stuff and going on about how he had a word from the Lord, and how the Lord had given him a word, and, and I'm sitting there, all, I, was, I was kind of drawn into it, I was like, wow, he's, gonna, he's about to deliver something special. I was like, wow, this is some... I was waiting for a heavy, deep point. And after 10 minutes of building up to his point, he said, the Lord told me to tell you that you need to feel good about yourself. <laughs> that was his word. People jumped up, throwing white handkerchiefs in the air. And I was sitting there thinking, now I know what people meant when they said at the seminar, we are not used to hearing the Bible preach like this. A concise breakdown of a message or a point or a theme through the Bible is something that we should do. We should not be running after the other churches, copying their modes or methods of preaching. God has given us a message to preach, and we need to preach it in its distinctiveness without fear or without shame. Manuscript, release, volume 14, page 311. Preach the truth as it has been given by the Lord. This truth is powerful in the conviction of sinners. Eat and drink the word. Put away all fanciful theories. Let the truth stand out in its original what? Power. Let it stand in its original power. These are quotations. You can read your quotation after quotation from Ellen White, giving us a mandate to preach the word. Not a story. It always you know, worries me when you go and hear a preacher and they take about half an hour till they open the Bible. And then when they do, it's just one or two texts. And then a closing story with a spiritual application, and that's the sermon. To preach the word, you must know the word. To preach the word, you must believe the word. And like I said earlier, to preach the word, you must obey the word. This is all in preparation. Knowing the word, studying the word, believing the word for yourself, and obeying the word that you're preaching. So your life is not at contradiction with the message that you are giving, and there's a consistency that flows throughout. Review and Herald, May the 27th, 1890, says there should be a deep searching of the scriptures that the ministers of God may declare the whole counsel of God. Preach the message, preach the word. You see, Adventism as a movement is message-driven. That's how we were raised as a people, message-driven. We were not sports-driven. We were not music-driven. We were not social-driven. 
just people-driven, entertainment-driven, we were driven by a message. And it's that message that's going to drive us into the promised land. It's that message that is going to get us to heaven. Make your presentation clear. If it's not clear to you, how do you expect it to be clear to other people? I'm going to get to this in a minute as far as the structuring of a message. But it's important that your message is clear. Evangelism, page 168, says the manner in which the truth is presented often has much to do in determining whether it is what? Accepted or rejected. The clarity of the message, the clearness of the message, the manner in which it's presented has much to do whether it's accepted or rejected. Some preacher may think he's just preached the truth, but maybe it was so unclear it made zero sense to anyone in the audience and he's going home saying, oh, you know, never mind. I've got to preach the truth anyway. Maybe it was his lack of preparation and clarity that led to the people not getting it. You understand? When I'm preaching a message, I sometimes, I'll, I'll go through sometimes my notes beforehand and I'll raise the objections as much as I can. Well, what would someone say about maybe this point? What are they maybe say about this point? What, what would someone think about this text? Is it linking with this text? And I try and go through all the arguments, so to speak, to make sure, at least in my mind, that it's clear. And hopefully, it'll be clear to others. Ecclesiastes 12.9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he taught the people what? Knowledge. Yea, he gave them good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Tells that the preacher was wise, he taught the people knowledge, he gave them good heed, and he set in order many proverbs. These are all things that the preacher, the Bible says, did. He set things in order. I want to share with you four C's of preaching. Four C's of preaching. These are little things that sometimes help us to remember things. Captivate, convince, convict, and convert. Any message you give should encompass all of those four elements. Captivate the people, convince them, convict and convert. You see, if someone is not captivated, number one, they're not going to listen to you. If they're not listening, you may as well just switch off. You don't captivate them. That's often why introductions of sermons are so important. The introduction sets the tone, you get people's attention, or sometimes you lose their attention straight away. How many of you have switched off in the introduction of a sermon? Only three of you? The rest of you, I don't believe are telling the truth. Or you switched off, say you're reading a book, first chapter. Or maybe you watched a film, first 10 minutes, done. If the people don't listen to you, they won't be convinced. If they're not convinced, you can, if you can't convince someone of what you're saying, there's no way you can convict them, or the Holy Spirit can convict them. You can't convict, convict an unconvinced mind. And the last step, if there's no conviction, you can't have any conversion. All of these things flow. Captivate convince, convict, and then convert. They flow in logical order, one from the next. So how do you captivate your audience? Jump on stage, run around, 
There's right ways and wrong ways. There's many wrong ways to captivate an audience. I've seen it many, many times. There's right ways as well. Like I said, the introduction is one of the most important parts of a sermon. To captivate their mind, you've got to hold it throughout the sermon. One way is good, is to express people's kind of thoughts for them. You read a passage of scripture maybe, and you raise a question that is kind of, it's a question that everyone maybe in the audience has, logical questions you read the text. It's like, you read the text, Murray, me example, you raise a question, it's like, yeah, that's what the people are thinking in their minds. You've got them locked in because they're thinking that, and you're about to answer it. In evangelism, it's one, you know, it's one of the most, you, know, you do it all the time in an evangelistic sermon. You may read a text about the Sabbath, Next logical question is, people are, Sabbath? What is a Sabbath? Seven day. Next logical question is, which day is the Sabbath? You're just following their train of thought in their mind as you deliver your sermon. You've got their attention throughout the sermon. Why? Because each, question, each text you're reading is raising a question about your next text or your next point. So you're holding their attention throughout your message. Your target point when you're captivating people is the need that they have. Their need. Next one, to convince. Your target point, as you're trying to convince people, is intellectual and mental. Got to convince the mind that the heart may follow. The heart's following and the mind's not convinced. It's just a, it's like the, the seed that falls on, you know, sprouts up quick and goes. Target point, intellectual and mental. Convict, target point is your conscience. This is where giving the appeals comes in as well, as you're making appeals. As you go to stage four, convert, target point, speak to the will and appeal to the heart. Four C's, what are the four C's then? Number one is, captivate your audience. Number two is, convince them. Number three is, convict them. And number four is, Convert. These aren't obviously, you know, you obviously you don't convert the audience. You want the Holy Spirit to use you, speak to the people, appeal to the hearts of the people. So when you're preparing a message, this is something I would suggest that you go through before preparing a message. These one, two, three, four, five, six steps. Don't go in reverse. And they're not like set in stone. You don't always necessarily have to have the title of the message before you sit down and prepare your sermon. Sometimes you don't have a title. But, ste but step number two should come at the beginning. Sometimes, I mean, I, I know sometimes when I've been preparing sermons and I've got things all messed up and, and the wrong way around, I found a good story and I want to build a sermon around a story. Wrong way to start. Found a great illustration, some powerful, heart-wrenching story. And I try and build a sermon around it. It doesn't work. Sometimes you just have to cut those heart-wrenching stories out because they just don't fit with your message. Have you ever heard of a, ser a preacher sermon and you followed the message all the way through until he got to his appeal story? And you're like, whoa. Or maybe a story in the middle. You're just like, it doesn't seem to fit. The question framing the message. When you're preparing a message, ask the question. What is the question that is framing the message? What question are you asking the audience through the message? Then you have to answer the question given. So the question could be, I mean, throw me a question that could frame a message. How do we know we're saved? How do we know we're saved? Perfect. There's a question of your, of your message. How do we know we are saved? 
Answer the question, that's going to be your three or four points. Which day is the Sabbath? There you go. There's your question. How do you answer that? Now you start to structure your message and your points. But if you don't know clearly what the question you're asking your audience is, it's hard to clearly answer that in the points that you are giving. What is faith? It's a very broad question. That could be a general question for a sermon. Okay, what is faith? Point number one. Faith is taking the word of God. Point number two. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I don't know. You know, I'm just throwing these things out there. What's the question? Framing the message. This is the better way to start than just saying, I'm just going to get a parable and, and preach the parable with some good points about the parable. It may be a nice homily. It may sound good. There may be a few interesting, powerful points along the way. But if you don't have a clear message, for, a question framing your message, and you don't really answer it, you have little impact on the audience apart from them thinking you were a great preacher. And then the people leave church and you ask them, well, what did the preacher preach about? I don't know, but it was good. It happens so often. I don't know what he preached, but it was a good sermon. Well, maybe the preacher didn't really know what impact he was trying to have on the audience apart from to let them know he was a good preacher. So maybe he succeeded. He was a good preacher. What impact do you want them to have? Do you want them to understand, as my brother said, how they are saved. Question is, how are we saved? Answer, da, 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 da. Impact, I want them to understand how we're saved, that we're saved by this, this, and this. I want them to come forward for an appeal, to give their lives for this or that. Know these quick things in your mind as you're preparing the message, the impact you want it to have on the audience, and then what is your central topic or text? So if your sermon was, how do we know we are saved? What text could I get that sums that up most completely, maybe? Maybe Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. I don't know. There's many texts you could find from the New Testament old that would maybe sum up that theme most succinctly. And then you add your illustrations at the end. Don't start with your illustrations. Because you may start with a great illustration, but it doesn't fit the impact and it doesn't fit the question and the answer. And you put your illustrations at the end to kind of like, icing on the cake. I, I started preaching before I started doing this. In some ways, I picked up some bad habits. And when I started doing this, I, to be honest, I found it hard to get my head around it. I had what I thought was a great sermon. I remember it was at Avco. And we were, taught, we were taught some, some of these things. And I had this sermon that I preached about five times. And every time I preached it, it seemed to be a good sermon. Went well. And then I had to sit down and say, what's the question framing the message? I was like, I don't know. I had to really rack my brain to try and think what it was. And I had to kind of adjust the sermon so it actually reached the impact on the audience. Basic sermon outline. You can have an introduction, first point, second point, third point, maybe fourth point. I haven't put them all on there because I haven't got space. Between every point, you have a bridge from one point to the next. It's not just a random thought. There's many different ways you can sit down and write. I mean, once you've figured out your question, your answer, your impact, one way that I've seen one, uh, couple, some preachers do is they say they've got their, their main question and they just brainstorm. 
Now, some people think in spider graphs, you know, choo, 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 choo. they start brainstorming all the thoughts on that subject. Then you go through, say, 20 thoughts on that subject, and you pick out five of the best ones. Then you arrange them into a logical order so that it flows from one point to the next. Then you kind of have your basic outline. If you're used to writing essays for English and history and all those other subjects, you're kind of a step ahead of people that maybe aren't used to writing essays because you're used to doing the introduction, point, 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 conclusion. It's very, very similar when you're writing a sermon. And remember, if it's not clear to you, it won't be clear to anyone else. Jesus speaks in a way that it was clear to little children. I haven't had this very often, but I've had it a few times where little children have come up to me and said, I like that sermon. To me, that's the greatest compliment. I mean, I'm not too fussed if a great preacher comes to me and tells me he thought it was a great sermon. Well, it's good. Praise the Lord. But if a five-year-old comes up to me, I was preaching the 2300 days. And for every preacher, that's almost like your hardest sermon to preach. I think it was a 20, yeah, it was a 2300 days. A little five-year-old came up to me afterwards and said, I like that because I could understand it. I didn't care what anyone else said. Five-year-old said he could understand the 2300. Speak clearly. Speak distinctly. You may find it helpful to listen to great preachers. I tend not to listen to as many sermons as I used to because I don't like it to influence my style or anything like that, but some people find it helpful to listen to great preachers. Where do you go for great sermons? Audioverse. You guys are well trained. (laughs) Audioverse. You can also go to cdbrooks.com. One of the best preachers in Adventism, I think. CPCSDA.org isn't, well, that's, I put that one on there because that's one of my favorite preachers, Henry Wright. You heard of him, great preacher. That's his church's website, and you can pick up his sermons there for free. Um, Listen to good preachers. Remember as you're preaching, that you're responsible for other people's time. If you've got 30 people listening to you, or 50 people listening to you, and you're preaching for 30 minutes. How long is that, mathematicians? Twenty-five hours. It's a lot of time. You're preaching to fifty people for thirty minutes, you're taking up twenty-five hours of people's time. It's a lot of time. You're responsible for people's time. Use it well. Use it well. Preaching the presentation. What should we preach? I'm going to go through this quickly. I have very little time left. We should preach a three angels message. As I said earlier, it's all encompassing. Preach in the context of today. We should preach salvation by grace through faith. Never assume people know this correctly. Never assume that. In the church and the non-Christian world. The non-Adventist world. Never. (laughs) We should preach prophecy. It's the one thing we have that others don't have. It confirms the scriptures and it holds people's attention. I just did a prophecy seminar in England. I'm from England. Just did a seminar over there. And you know what they hear about England. It's a postmodern country. It's atheist, this, that, the other. No one goes to church. Only 4% of people go to church tomorrow on Sunday. And all the other stuff. So I'm doing a prophecy seminar in England last month. No, two months ago. I'm like, what shall I do? Well, I'm accustomed to doing prophecy seminars here in America. So I said, let me just copy that in England and see how it goes. Let me just preach the prophecies. Opening night, Daniel 2. Second night, Daniel 3. Third night, Daniel 4. Fourth night, Daniel 7. Daniel 8. Daniel 9. Daniel 8. 
You know what I found? In atheist, postmodern England, so to speak, people were interested. Got people's attention. Night five, I preached Daniel chapter eight. The ram, the he-goat, the little horn. To me, it's not the most exciting sermon. Do you know what I mean? There's no funny illustrations in it. There's no powerful stories that appeal to people's heart. It's a ram, a goat, and a little horn. And a 16-year-old girl came for the first night when I preached that sermon. Not baptized, not Adventist. Came up to me at the end and was just like, that was amazing. I loved that sermon. Came the whole way through and got baptized at the end. And I was kind of blown away. I was like, because I saw her in the audience and I'm like, I don't know how she's going to take this ram, goat, horn stuff. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. Don't be afraid to preach the prophecies. Preach the key doctrines. Preach for decision. And preach practical Christianity. What should be in every sermon? I'm going to go through this quickly. Love of Christ. I must admit, I don't always get this right. But we're told in book evangelism, love of Christ, cross of Christ, second coming, conversion, practical, and it's calling for children, and appeal. You can't always do a whole point on that. You may just mention Jesus coming soon. Not say so you're doing a whole sermon on the second coming. You may just mention it there in your sermon. We're living towards the second coming, etc. These are things that should be mentioned as important in a message. Preach with clarity, preach with power and conviction. Doesn't mean you've got to be a loud preacher. Doesn't mean you've got to shout. Doesn't necessarily mean you've got to raise your voice. You can tell when a preacher's convicted about what he's preaching and when he's just passively giving a message per se. Preach with power. And preach in a way that you're convicted about what you're preaching. Mark 1 verse 22 says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had, what's the next word? Authority. And not as the scribes. He had authority. He preached with distinction. And he preached clearly. It's the way we need to preach. You've got authority about what you're sharing. You've got a message from God for the people, and you stand there as if you have it. He read in the book of the law, the Bible says in Nehemiah 8, verse 8, and they gave sense and caused them to understand the reading. They read it what? Distinctly. They read it distinctly, they understood it, and they, and they, um, they understood the reading. As you're preaching to a congregation, you need to gain their confidence. This may be more... You know, in a sermon, you've got to gain someone's confidence. It may be more applicable if you're doing it, say, an evangelistic series. You've got to gain their confidence bit by bit as you're going through a series. How do you gain someone's confidence? It's not rocket science. You're preaching the word clearly and distinctly, and you're making sense from the Bible as you're preaching through. You will gain people's confidence that you are a biblical preacher. As you got their confidence, you're on good ground. Another way to gain your confidence is to know your stuff. If you don't know what you're talking about, you can't have confidence. You can't get the confidence of other people. You ever seen a preacher that just kind of winged his way through a sermon or a question? 
and you can see through it and you lose confidence in them. If they're kind of fabricating something, making something up, try and be polished. Start flipping through your notes. Preach a sermon to the wall several times. Preach to the mirror. I preach my best sermons in front of the mirror. <laughs> Tell you, man. The mirrors could speak. Preach powerful sermons to the mirror. <laughs> Serious. Then you get up and you're like, and you preach less powerfully. It's like, oh, man. I wish I could stick the mirror on the front row and just preach again. <laughs> preach in front of the mirror. Preach in front of the wall. Preach to yourself. Go to the trees. Preach to the woods. If you're nervous about preaching, you haven't preached much before, don't let the time you stand up be the first time you go through your presentation audibly. Because you will probably bumble and you would probably stumble. Go through it once or twice. Go to your back garden where no one can hear you and just preach. No one's watching you. No one can hear you. No one can see you. And you can just kind of let loose and preach. Another way is to videotape yourself preaching. And then watch it. And you'll find it's torturous. <laughs> it's torturous. But these are helpful tips. Watch yourself preaching. Preach to a video camera. Preach in the woods. Preach to the mirror. Preach on your own. These are all ways to get your sermons kind of the kinks through. When I did my first campaign, I did my first campaign to a mirror first. Then I went and preached it to people. But I'd already done it once to myself. So when I stood up, it wasn't the first time I was going through my sermon. I'd already gone through it once. Now I just had to contend the fact that I've got 100 people looking at me now instead of me just looking at myself. Dress is important as well. These are just minor points, though. Groomed well, clean teeth, <laughs> a well-tied tie. I don't know if mine is. Iron shirt, polished shoes. One time I preached. I'm not the best at point number four. My ties are often like this or like that. I was preaching a sermon once and a lady came up to me and said, I couldn't listen to anything you said. I said, why? Your tie's crooked. <laughs> Don't know if that was my problem or hers. But anyway, <laughs> as much as you can. Charles Spurgeon said, if some men were sentenced to hear their own sermons... It would be a righteous judgment upon them. And they would cry out with Cain, my punishment is greater than I can bear. <laughs> Get the kinks out first, if you can. Now, what do you think about using PowerPoint in a sermon? Can be done. It's a visual aid. We live in a visual society. Don't be afraid of doing it. Some people say never use it. Always use it. Any method you use all the time becomes a bad method. That's all you're doing. If you're a preacher and every time you preach you're using PowerPoint for every single sermon, I would say it's a bad method. Don't use the same method all the time. But PowerPoint is a good thing to use at times. Know that if you use PowerPoint, you have to know your slides more than you know your notes. If it's a sermon that's kind of like based fully on the slides. When I'm doing my evangelistic sermons and I'm preaching from my slides, I don't go through my sermon notes, I go through my slides. 
I've got to know exactly what's coming up next. I've got to know which slides I'm holding myself on, which slides I'm pausing for about a minute, which slides I'm telling a story on. I've got to know them inside out. Now, if it's just a sermon that you're doing in a church, and maybe if you've got a few pictures up there, it's not such a big deal. And sometimes it can be good that you have a few pictures on the screen that as you're telling a story, there's an image that can focus people's minds on the story you're telling. But don't become over-reliant on it. If you do use it, find good graphics. Use both the Bible and the screen. Find it's not best to just have all your verses on the screen. And you may find that if you have none of the verses on the screen, it's slow going. Particularly in the context of an evangelistic sermon. So you may find it's good to use both. References, verses, and some of them you read from the Bible. But dice it up. Change it around. Graphics are good. Where do you go to find good graphics? I don't have this on the screen. I've got these in my notes up here. There's a couple of places. If you're writing notes, you want good graphics, go to, um, I'm going to read through a couple of websites, goodsalt.com, photos.com, photospin.com, gettysimages.com, NASA, like NASA, National Geographic, images there. High quality. Corbis.com. SXC.HU. Also known as Stock Exchange, or whatever it's called. They have a lot of images there for free. You can just type in stuff like man holding Bible, and it spews out about 10 images of a man holding a Bible. You can subscribe to it, and you can pay for higher quality images, but it's a very good website. SXC.HU. There's another one called freeimages.co.uk, istockphoto.com. Those are all websites that I'd recommend if you want to get good graphics for. Ecclesiastes 37, 4 to 10. And he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the what? Word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter in you, and you shall live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. The image in the mind that he's trying to create was of the importance of preaching. Prophesy to these dry bones, and what happens? They live. The preaching of the word, not just preaching, Preaching can be good or bad, so to speak, but the preaching of the word in its correct context, when it's, <coughs> excuse me, when it's distinct, when it's clear, when it's well prepared, when your life is mirroring what you're presenting, when your message is clear in your mind, when you know what the question is you're asking your audience, when you know what the answer to the question is, when you know what impact you wish to have on your audience, then... I believe the Holy Spirit will attend to the message, give it the power that it needs. Richard Baxter said these words, I preached as never sure to preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. Truly, as a preacher, you stand between the living and the dead. And you don't know if that's the last time someone may hear a message. First time, the last time, you don't know. You really don't. 
And so you should preach as a dying man to dying men. If you're preaching in an evangelistic series, that may be the first and last time someone ever hears a message about the Sabbath. Maybe the first and the last time someone ever hears about the second coming. Maybe the message that you're giving to them. To take these things seriously, the presentation of the three angels' message is something that is important for us to do it distinctly and clearly. Because remember the quotation we shared at the beginning, as I say in closing, that God has given to us as Seventh-day Adventists a distinct message, the three angels' message, which is to be the last warning to a dying world. I would exhort you, I would plead with you to preach the word, to preach the three angels' message with clarity, with conviction, and with power. And the more people that are out there preaching with power and the lies are in accordance with the message they're giving, the sooner I believe this message can go to the whole world. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.